When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had a mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It will take more than half a year's age wages to buy enough bread for each one of you to bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. Welcome again to worship. On this Serve Sunday, we are so glad that you are here with us today. We're in the second week of our sermon series called What If? And I've got to tell you that uh, when I pitched the idea of doing a sermon series based on the concept of a Marvel comic book named What If? And the TV show's called What If? to Stephanie, I was met with a blank stare in silence. I think the pitch went something like this. I said, what if we do a series on what if? And Stephanie said, what? I said, no, what if? And she responded by saying, Jonathan, what are you talking about? You know, what if? Still silence. <laughs> if you're interested, you can look up all that Marvel has done around the concept of what if. But what I want to share with you this morning is the fact that I love the question, what if? I love the question, what if? I love asking, what if? Because that question is loaded with possibility. It's loaded with opportunity. It's loaded with potential. But so often we approach the question of what if from perspective of fear, from a position of fear. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I lose my job? What if I lose my house? What if I lose my family? What if the stock market crashes? What if? But the what if question, when we look at it through the lens of Christ, is filled with potential, it's filled with possibility. What if we tried something different for the sake of sharing the gospel? What if we kept pressing in to God's presence? What if we prayed really and truly, humbled ourselves and prayed the way Stephanie talked about last week? And what if we served? What if we joined hands together for the sake of the gospel and put God first in everything that we do? What might God accomplish not only through us, but in us, if we begin to ask the question, 
what if? What if? I get excited, honestly, just thinking about it. And I'm excited that on this day we get to consider how God might be calling us to serve in the life of the church. I mean, really, what if we each committed to finding a place within the life of the church to offer our gifts, our skills, and our talents? I mean, we've got several places over here on the, the right-hand side of the sanctuary for you to consider at the end of our service, but there's many, many places that you can plug in. The choir's not listed there, and you can serve by offering your voice and your presence to sing and worship. You could offer your presence as a greeter, as a part of the grace team. You know, the grace team, if you're a member of the grace team, you think greeting, that's a very like touchy personal place. Really, if you're willing to stand and hold the door and smile, you're qualified to be a grace team member. And just think, perhaps you open the door and smile and the person walking through that door for the very first time feels an honest and true sense of welcome. And because they experienced that sense of welcome, they came and they sat down in the pew where they were greeted by other members of the congregation, and perhaps for the first time they felt the warmth of family that's so real here at Pittman Park, and the presence of God moves in their heart through the worship service, and they end up committing their life to Christ and serving right alongside you. What if simply holding a door and being a welcoming presence could be the difference maker in someone's life? What if serving an open table not only helps provide a, a great meal, a complimentary meal for you and for the community, but also could be a place where you develop new relationships and grow in, in, uh, in relationship with others as you serve and, and do the work of ministry by preparing a meal and sharing it with those around you. What if we committed ourselves to serving? I get excited when I think about all the possibilities for all the ways that we can serve here at Pittman Park. But let's take a look at our scripture text this morning for the second week of our series. It comes from John chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. Now, while you're opening up your Bibles and you're getting there to hear, getting ready to hear that passage of scripture again, I want to tell you about what happens in the chapter preceding John chapter 6. That would be John chapter 5. And John chapter 5 is an interesting chapter of John's gospel because it opens with Jesus going to Jerusalem to the temple. And there in the temple, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. He heals a man on the Sabbath. And the crowd is excited because this man takes up his mat and begins to walk. A man who was unable to walk now has the strength and has experienced the healing that allows him to once again be mobile. But the Pharisees and Sadducees, they are put off by this. They are just incensed, not that Jesus would heal someone that he would heal on the Sabbath. How dare you heal on the holy day? How dare you heal on the day of rest? Who gives you the authority to do such incredible works? Two-thirds of John chapter 5 is spent with Jesus telling just who gives him the authority to heal on the Sabbath. He teaches that he has the authority as the son of God and that that authority is attested to by John the Baptist who spoke of him in the, in the wilderness. It's attested to by the witnesses to his power and his miracles and his teachings. And he concludes uh, his, his little discourse in John chapter 5 by saying that his authority 
Jesus' authority is even attested to by Moses who wrote about him. So the backdrop for what happens in John chapter 6 outside of Jerusalem is controversy and conflict about whether or not Jesus has the authority to do that which he is doing. Then John chapter 6 opens this way. Sometime after this, that's after the healing and the defense of Jesus' actions, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Remember, just back in Jerusalem, back at the temple, the man is healed. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he'd already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it will take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a single bite. What do you mean, Jesus? How are we going to feed these people? And other disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now take note, 5,000 men were there. There were also women and children who were there on the side of the mountain that day. But there were 5,000 men. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed, those who were, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. John chapter 6 begins with the feeding of the 5,000. But before we get to the feeding of the multitude, we realize that there was, in fact, we read that there was, in fact, a multitude of people who were following after Jesus. Now, they were following him from one place to another, from town to town, to see what Jesus would do next. I mean, he just confronted the religious authorities in the temple in Jerusalem. What's he going to do next? He's healed a man. Is he going to do another healing? Is he going to give another important teaching that we need to be present to listen to? Is he going to do another exorcism? Who knows? So the people follow after Jesus in great crowds as a great multitude because Jesus was interesting. Jesus was entertaining. Think about the world that these people lived in. There wasn't a whole lot of entertainment happening on the side of Galilee. The world they lived in wasn't a place full of entertainment. You couldn't just, you know, pull out your phone and doom scroll on Instagram or TikTok. You couldn't do that because well, they didn't have phones. And even if you had a phone, there were no cell towers. So, right? <laughs> Useless. 
useless. You couldn't just go and sit down in front of your TV and pull up Netflix and watch the newest season of Virgin River or the next Nate Bargatze comedy special, right? You couldn't just do that. All right, so you guys don't watch Netflix, right? Linear, linear TV only. Okay, so how about this? You couldn't sit in front of your TV and watch football all Saturday long, right? You couldn't do that in the ancient world. So the crowds that follow after Jesus, some of them were interested in hearing him teach and hearing him preach because they want to become his disciples. They want to follow after him. But other people just followed after Jesus because he captured their imagination and captured their attention because he was entertaining. I've got to ask you, what is it that captures your imagination? What is it that gets your attention? What is it that causes you to stop what you were doing and to begin to look and pay attention? I know what gets our culture's attention. I know what our culture is focused on. All you have to do is pull up your favorite news website and you can see exactly what captures our attention and grips our imagination. It's two things, really. It's scarcity and fear. It doesn't matter if you're watching Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or any other number of news outlets. Scarcity and fear drive the 24-hour news cycle. The Weather Channel even makes money based off of scarcity and fear, right? Their best coverage is when a hurricane's coming. You guys watch the Weather Channel, right? Okay, all right, just making sure. Scarcity and fear, they affect us every single day of our lives. Let me give you an example of how scarcity and fear affected me. Think back to the pandemic, right? During the pandemic, we were afraid. I mean, you can act brave now, but we were all afraid, right? Like, we were all afraid. We were worried about what was happening around us. We changed our lifestyles because of the pandemic, because of fear. We didn't go out, right? You didn't go out. At one point, uh, we decided that we were just going to stay in our little neighborhood. We were going to stay in Grove Circle, and we were going to be happy with our little 10 families that lived inside of there, and we were going to do our thing. We are going to quarantine is what we called it. We are going to quarantine together. We wore masks. We stayed six feet apart. You remember that? Remember we had these, uh, these markers on each of the pews in here that told you what six feet apart actually was inside of the sanctuary. We did weird things. We would buy groceries, right? Then you would take your groceries home with your gloves and your mask on. You'd, you'd put the groceries outside in the sunshine because the magical rays of sunshine were going to kill the virus that was on the groceries. Then you'd wash your groceries outside. Anybody do this? Okay, just me. All right. Personal story here, right? So we're washing our groceries outside to make sure we weren't bringing, we didn't know what was happening. Make sure we didn't bring COVID into the house with us. Fear changed everything for us. Then scarcity became a part of the equation, right? Which caused us to buy up all of the toilet paper, right? You laugh because you know it was true. I remember at one point we found out that there was a place in town that had toilet paper. And so I made a phone call, and they're like, yeah, we got toilet paper. I was like, all right, I'm going to come and pick it up. And so we go to this building, and they're like, you got to go around back to get the toilet paper. And I was like, what am I doing, a drug deal here, right? Like, so, so I go around to the back of, of, of this building, and, and here's this guy, and he's got like a, a clear bag with like four rolls, and he's like, I got, I got the goods, you know, and I slipped him a 20, and we got the toilet paper. 
Don't act like you weren't buying toilet paper at the, out the back of some building somewhere. You were doing it too. <laughs> Y'all, during the pandemic, I bought more rice and grits than I'm proud of because I was afraid that we would run out of food. And all, I knew that all that you needed to cook rice or cook grits was boiling water, right? You can make do with rice and grits. We just finished off our rice stockpile, by the way. So we bought 15 pounds of grits to celebrate, which by my calculation should hold us until about 2034. Um, but fear and scarcity, they affect us, don't they? Hey, just last year when it came to the budget of the church, um, our culture began talking about a recession and suddenly our giving dipped because fear and scarcity affect us. It's funny how fear and scarcity affect us, but it's also sad. And what's even sadder is that it's not just our world that gets gripped by scarcity and fear. Our church and churches get gripped by scarcity and fear too. I can remember times in my ministry where we sat through finance committee meetings and administrative board meetings where scarcity and a perceived lack of resources dominated the conversation. Some of you have sat through meetings even here like that, where scarcity and fear held sway over every moment of the conversation. Where scarcity and fear hindered ministry and held back God's people from becoming all that God was calling them to be and doing all that God was calling them to do. I can't tell you the number of meetings where fear of the future, fear of the present, even held the church back from being all and doing all that it could for the kingdom of God. But y'all, we're not the first people to worry about not having enough. And we're certainly not the first people to be held captive by our fears. All throughout the Bible, there are stories of people who are held back because of their fears and because they were afraid of not having enough. Perhaps the most obvious example is the story of the Hebrew slaves once they, they leave the grips of Pharaoh in Egypt and they get just on the other side of the Red Sea. They've got freedom for the very first time and they begin to complain. They begin to complain. Remember the good old days back in slavery. You remember this part of the story? What? We should just go back to Egypt. I mean, I know we were slaves, but we at least had you know, melons and meat to eat around the fire. What? You're a free people now. Oh, I mean, freedom's not all it's cracked up to be. It's real tough out here in the wilderness. They were afraid they wouldn't have enough, that the God who delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh would not protect them and provide for them through the wilderness to carry them to the land that, they, that he had promised to them. Fear, scarcity. They couldn't see that God not only freed them, but provided for them and protected them all along the way. John 6, 1 to 13 is a text that deals with the issue of scarcity. Here are the disciples and they're concerned about not having enough food to feed everyone. You remember Philip's comment when Jesus asks where they're going to buy bread for these people to eat, don't you? Philip says, yeah, look, Jesus, six months, six months worth of wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each person to have even a bite, even a little. That's fear. And that's scarcity talking. Here's the interesting thing about it. The text doesn't say that they didn't have that kind of money available to them because they had been collecting offerings along the way. 
didn't say they didn't have enough money to do it, to feed these people. It's just scarcity and fear talking about how they might make that happen. The disciples don't know how they're going to be able to do it, how they're going to have enough for everyone. Then Andrew pipes up and says, Here this, here's this boy, and he brought his lunchbox. You know, I just imagine, you know, this little five or six-year-old kid with a sack. Um, well, from my story here, it's, it's, a, um, it's a Superman metal lunchbox. You remember metal lunchboxes before those got too dangerous to carry to school? Right? Superman metal lunchbox. About the time I hit second grade, it became plastic, and the coolest lunchbox was a blue Batman lunchbox. It was just so cool, right? Little thermos inside. I just imagine this young boy, you know, maybe five, maybe seven years old, he comes forward and, and he's got his lunch there and he's got these five barley loaves and he's got these two fish and, and so Jesus takes them from him because he's offered them, right? Like Andrew, Andrew's like, here's, here's this, this kid, he's got his lunch and the kid's like, yeah, take, take my lunch, take my five barley loaves and two fish. And Andrew, after offering, it's like, what is Jesus, what are you going to do with that? You can see Philip just kind of scoffing at like, what, is he, what does Jesus think he's going to do with five loaves and 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children here? But Jesus takes that offering. He blesses it. He breaks the bread and he begins to share it with the people who are seated there on the side of the mountain. And Jesus isn't holding back from the scripture text. Jesus isn't like, oh, you may only have, you know, one five thousandth of this loaf. One five thousandth of this fish. Jesus is saying, take as much as you want. You want a big piece of bread? Take a big piece of bread. You want a little bite of fish? Go ahead. There's plenty more. You want some more? We've got more fish. Here's, here's more fish. Jesus takes what seems to be a meager offering, this boy's lunch, this little boy's lunch. And he makes it more than enough for everyone. Jesus takes what little they have among themselves and makes it more than enough. Remember the disciples, they collect baskets and baskets and baskets of leftovers from those who were seated on the grass that day. Jesus confronts scarcity and fear head on. With Jesus, there's always more than enough. There's never a shortage. There's always abundance. There's always enough for all. And y'all don't miss this. Jesus takes our limited resources, our limited gifts, our limited lives even, and unleashes unlimited possibility. He unleashes unlimited possibility from our meager and limited offerings. This is the story of every hero of the Bible. Jesus takes their limited power, their limited gifts, their limited resources, and makes them more than enough to accomplish God's plan and God's purpose. Think about it. Abraham, the great hero of the Old Testament, was too old to be the father of a great nation. Yet God uses him to build a nation. Sarah, his wife, you remember the story about Sarah, his wife? God tells her that they're going to be the, the parents of a great nation, and she laughs. And God says, did you just laugh? And Sarah says, I didn't just laugh. And Jesus, God says, yes, you did. She laughed at that notion. Yet God used her as the mother of a great nation. Even in his old age, God sees Abraham's faithfulness and gives him an heir. What about Moses? 
Moses doesn't believe he has the skills to lead the Hebrew people out of Egypt. After all, you know, he's been on the, the lamb for the last 40 years. He's murdered an Egyptian. He's, he's a slave himself. He's been hiding his identity since he was plucked out, up out of the Nile River. He doesn't believe he has the capacity or the skills to lead the Hebrews out of Pharaoh's grip and into a land of freedom. He even tells God, I just... God, I stutter. I, people won't believe it's me. I'm not good at talking. And God says, well, I'll send Abraham with you. Or Abraham with you. I'll, I'll send Aaron with you to speak for you when you can't speak. And God takes his gifts and his heart, and God uses Moses to bring a whole nation out of bondage into freedom. Those are big examples from Scripture. But I can tell you that God takes the limited resources that people like you and I have and unleashes unlimited potential for God's kingdom too. I want you to think back to Advent last year. We spent six weeks last year collecting funds to build a house in Uganda. He took, God took our limited resources. I mean, some of us were like, oh, we've got $5 we can give toward this project. And God took our collected resources and built a house for a family of five orphans. And you might think, well, that's a little tiny piece of possibility that God unleashed. Well, it's a big deal because now, as I told you last week, there's 20 people meeting in a church inside of that house. 20 people. Because we took our $5 and pulled them together and built a house, and that house has become a place where the gospel is making a path forward. Not only that, now the 20 people that are inside of that house, inside of that church that's meeting inside of that, that house, they're going out in the community and they're rescuing other orphans, rescuing other people from their situation, introducing them to Jesus Christ. They're helping children who have nothing find a place to have a family through Victory Outreach. And it all started because we said, hey, maybe we can do, maybe, God, we've got, we got $5,000 that became $7,000, that became $13,000 that we could give to make a difference in a place we'll never go and never see. God took our limited resources and unleashed unlimited possibility in a place where there was just very little hope. God does it all the time, friends. God takes our limited gifts and unleashes unlimited possibility. So on this Serve Sunday, I know you, you know that you might not feel like you have all that you need to be a great volunteer. You might not have it all together to be able to serve, but I want you to know that God can take your limited gifts and unleash unlimited potential. But it all starts with a willingness to offer what you have. Not what you hope you have or what you think you'll have one day, but what you have right here and right now. A little boy offered his five barley loaves and two fish, and Jesus fed 5,000. What might God do if you and I offered ourselves to God and to others by choosing to serve? What if? What if we did something extraordinary? by simply offering our limited gifts, our limited time, our limited resources to a God of 
limitless possibility. What if we took that step today and found a place to make a difference here at Pittman Park, here in our community? What might God do? What if? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us, God. Faithfulness that reaches out to us even when we say, God, it's not me. I'm I'm not the one that you need for this job. Faithfulness, Lord, that invites us to take a step towards you by serving. Faithfulness that allows us, God, to see the incredible ways that you use our gifts to multiply ministry and impact here in this world. We pray this morning, Lord, that each of us in this space would find the courage and the confidence to find a place to serve, to put their hands to work for the sake of the kingdom of God, for seeing other people know you and grow in their relationship with you, Lord, so that day by day, this community and our world will be transformed by the power of your grace and the power of your love. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to offer what we have. Bless us even now. Give us the confidence and strength to do your will and to take that next step of faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.